Hello and welcome to Hero with a Thousand Potions, a gaming podcast where two gamers in their 30s, we're gamers, we're dads, we're podcasters, dadcasters, really. We get together every now and then to talk about video games, but particularly we like to examine the storytelling and gameplay of popular and niche RPGs. It's like a book club, but video games. Welcome to season two. This is the first episode of season two where we will be talking about Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VII Remake. So we like to introduce ourselves if you're new to the podcast because this is a brand new season. We're going to talk about what season two is exactly, what the plan is, what the format's going to be. We're going to talk about these two games, development history and things like that, how Final Fantasy VII influenced us and our first exposure to the game and our thoughts as we first heard about the remake coming up and then the remake releasing. So my name is Tyler and I'm joined by my friend Nate. How are we doing, Nate? I'm good. We were originally going to try and tackle each chapter in an episode we even had discussions of tackling multiple chapters in one episode because that sounds like us doesn't it yeah and then we started recording and then it took two hours to get through half of one chapter because i wouldn't shut up and you know it's like we came to this realization this is our favorite game of all time or you know it's up there it's contending for favorite game of all time we can say that right sure yeah yeah, so and it's just so formative and so important in our journey as RPG game likers. So we didn't want to half-ass anything. Now, we are still cutting things that we find are, aren't the most interesting things in the world, but we're also leaving a lot of it in that we do love. So we're not going to be able to stick to that format of one episode equals one chapter of the game. So we're going to be strategically breaking it up using kind of key moments of transition within the game to provide a capstone to each episode. And we're going to do our best to let you know what the next episode is going to encapsulate and what we're going to cover. But at the same time, we're just going to let the content lead us and we're not going to worry about moving the train along faster or skipping over parts or what we should or shouldn't say we're gonna dig as deep as we want to that's exactly right nate so the bottom line is we are releasing ourselves from the one episode one chapter format we struggled with it in the original season of xenoblade chronicles but now we're just gonna like to split and say we're not going to confine ourselves to doing just that we think we're gonna have a more enriching experience going forward and i can already tell that that's the case we have so much enthusiasm so many things we want to share about final fantasy so tyler a quick thing let's talk about spoilers spoilers let's talk about spoilers well i'm not going to do any spoilers right now i'm going to talk about the art of not doing spoilers <laughs> so we're covering two games as we said and with that final fantasy 7 remake does have a chapter based structure whereas the original does not so we're letting remake lead the way dictate the structure of our content because of that remake also has a number of scenes that just simply don't exist in the original. So we kind of have to let Remake lead. Now, when you think about it, Remake is a game that came out just a few years ago. We're playing it chapter by chapter. We have these clean breakpoints of what we can expect listeners to have digested as far as that content cycle for that week or so. And so we're going to restrict the story beats, plot revelations, etc., to just the chapter at hand that we're discussing. We're going to do our best to withhold any spoilers from 
from later chapters from bleeding into the chapter we're discussing because we have finished the game. Alternatively, the original Final Fantasy VII is a game that's been out for 25 years. In order to discuss some of the differences, we're going to have to touch on certain plot details, overarching themes, conclusions as an important piece of discussing significant changes made between the two. So if I'm going to talk about maybe how a character has changed, I might need to reference something from outside of the scope of Seven Remake. There's also other things like moments in the game, music, characters, deaths even, and those things have been absorbed into the greater pop culture at large to where some of those characters are in Smash Brothers or Kingdom Hearts. So I'm not going to be too protective of some of those details as well. When it comes to the events of original Final Fantasy VII, I'm not going to make an effort to protect people from spoilers of that. If you want to play that before listening to us, we encourage you to do that. But if you're going to follow this podcast, probably make the most sense to just play through Seven Remake with us. If you want to play both like we're doing, go for it. But we won't expect you to. We're going to help you out on some of those details when it comes to the original game if you don't feel like doing both at the same time. Right. And if we F up while we're doing this podcast, maybe we'll just beep it out or something too. Yeah, we've had long discussions about this and it's very touchy and very hard. Even within these first couple chapters, it's a minefield to dodge some of these things. But we're going to do our best because it's really intriguing to step through this piece by piece. I agree. I'm ready to hop back into one of my favorite games of all time. That being Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, it's one of my favorite games as well. And it's because it's one of our favorite games that we wanted to make it our feature game for season two of the podcast. Season one was about Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. That was a really good time. 29 episodes. It was a it was a spectacular experience. Two of those episodes was the future connected um, additional chapter that was at the end of the or the epilogue of the original game that was only available in the definitive edition so check that out if you haven't already played the definitive edition of Xenoblade Chronicles. So what is season two in format? Well we're going to be playing Final Fantasy 7 the original game or OG let's say and we're going to play Final Fantasy 7 remake in tandem with one another. Now if you didn't already know Final Fantasy 7 Remake is a variation of a remake that only goes as far as the first 8 or 10 hours of the original game Final Fantasy 7. And so there's about I think 17 chapters in Final Fantasy 7 Remake and so we're going to try to go one episode per chapter. We're going to play an entire chapter of the remake and as much of the original game that would make up the amount of content the Final Fantasy 7 Remake's chapters are broken up into in tandem. And we're going to do a compare, contrast, analyses and things like that along Along the way. Pretty original idea. I don't think anybody else is doing it in the podcastosphere if there's a thing like that. And so I can't wait to get started, Nate. Yeah, and I've experienced a lot of videos and commenters that have done a comparison of the game, but most of them don't really have the same perspective and take that I ended up having on it. And we'll get into why. And I can't really get into why without getting into spoilers, but suffice to say, I'm not necessarily a fanboy or a detractor of of it in either way. I just have some things I'd like to say. <laughs> it's also exciting because we know that the next part of Final Fantasy VII Remake is on the horizon. Yeah, it is. I think it releases in, I thought it was March. It's March now. Was it March? No. Uh, I think it's either the end of this year or early next year. Oh, okay. So we've got time then. Part of me wondered if it was going to come out in the middle of this season. Yeah, and that one is actually titled Rebirth. 
the trailer says next winter, mm. which it would either need to come out in like the next two weeks or they meant the next next winter. <laughs> Think maybe within the next year at some point. Great. Nate, you're hinting at some controversial conversation that would be coming up about Final Fantasy VII and the Final Fantasy VII verse um, as we go through the season. And I think that's a pretty good, I think that's a, a good thing to have because the Final Fantasy VII remake is probably the most controversial of all of the Final Fantasies um, that have ever come out. And I think um, 13 might be just behind that one. And hey, wouldn't you know it, they're produced by basically the same development team. And so uh, that's going to be an exciting thing to go over. Nate, is there anything more you wanted to say before we get into reviews of the two games? We should let Remake dictate the series because it has the chapter breaks. Mm. It has the additional content, which you're just not going to have anything. <laughs> there there are chapters where we're literally going to have nothing on the OG side, right? That's true. Yeah, there's there's going to be a handful of that. And then the ending of the series is dictated by 7R and not 7OG. So. Mm officially when we're discussing the game to make it easier on us we are we're going to try our best to in discussion as we're on the fly say 7r or 7og and that means final fantasy 7 remake versus final fantasy 7 original if that was not apparent right and also float out there that there is also the expansion to final fantasy 7 remake called intermission and it features intergrade no i think it's intermission intergrade is the integration of intermission and the original release oh fuck that is a square enix as hell naming system right there yeah you just got dunked on shit 356 over five days is that a reference you understand? 356 over five days? No. That's literally the name of a video game Square Enix made. Kingdom Hearts 356 over five days. Or something like that. I, I might not have the numbers completely correct. Now, unlike Season 1, unlike Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, we have played this game before. And I mean Final Fantasy VII OG and Final Fantasy VII Remake. Nate, you played Remake too, right? Yep. Did you beat it? Yep. I, uh, I'm i like halfway through a hard mode on my PS5, but I'm going to start over for the sake of the podcast. Oh, I heard hard mode is fun. No items, right? No. It's definitely forces you to use every tool in the toolbox. So let's talk about these games. Okay, so Final Fantasy VII, the original game, was developed by Square in 1997. Director was Yoshinori Kitase, who directed Final Fantasy VI, Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VIII, Final Fantasy X, and was also a producer of Final Fantasy X and the Final Fantasy XIII series. The producer is Hironobu Sakaguchi, who created the Final Fantasy series. And there are a handful of writers, including Kazushige Nojima, who also wrote Final Fantasy Advent Children, Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VIII, Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy X-2, and the Kingdom Hearts series, plus also the Glory of Heracles series that I've never heard of before. And this guy also wrote the lyrics to the famous Liberi Fatali uh, song from FF8, that Ficos Lusek Winokos Vinosek song. I think that's what it is. Hell yeah. And then a couple songs from Final Fantasy X as well. Hey, Tyler, and one thing I've noticed about that might be different about Season 2 from Season 1 is Final Fantasy music seems to have... Uh, copyright power on the internet to where we might get in trouble if we loosely use it the way we did with Xenogears music. So we might have to figure out something else in that regard. But if we mention a song, we'll try and give you as many details as we can for you to go look it up and give it a shot yourself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
And the composer, Nobu Oimatsu, who's been the composer for many, many titles of the Final Fantasy series, uh, is here at full strength. He has so many great songs here, and I can't wait to hear so many of those songs all over again in the remake, where there's going to be renditions and... Interpretations. Interpretations and words like that. Final Fantasy VII originally released on the PlayStation 1 in all regions throughout the year 1997. There was a crummy Windows port that came out in the West in 1998 and in Japan in 2013. I don't know if the silly bugs were patched for uh, for the Japanese release, but I, do, I did have the Windows version and I remember it being quite crummy. It also released on iOS in 2015, on the PS4 in 2015, Android in 2016, the Switch in 2019, and on Xbox One also in 2019. If you played that old Windows version, you have the joy of the sprites having gaping open mouths the entire time. I don't remember that. I'll look up a picture for you. Okay, I believe you, but I I remember the sound being exceptionally crummy and... It was from a raw MIDI board, so they didn't have any of the sound chip from the PlayStation 1, so it was literally what Windows is capable of from their default MIDI board. We've come a long way, folks. (laughs) We've come a long way. If you buy the game on Steam, they've since fixed all that stuff and it plays like the original, so no fear if you're on Windows. Mm Mm-hmm. The development of Final Fantasy VII began in 1994, originally for the Super Famicom, but as disk drive media systems were coming out in the mid to late 90s, Squaresoft felt that they wanted to publish on one of those instead, and so they switched from a Super Famicom format to the PlayStation 1. Budget, $80 million, and it's also the second best-selling PlayStation 1 game of all time, clocking in at 10,022,000 units. Nate, any guesses as to what the number one best-selling PS1 game of all time is? Crash Bandicoot. No. Metal Gear Solid. Not even close. It's Gran Turismo, dude. Oh, okay. That makes sense. They weren't 11. They were like uh, 10,800,000 or something like that. Not quite a 11 million. Okay. On the other hand, Final Fantasy VII Remake came out in 2020. Developed by Square Enix. Now we're calling the late 90s Squaresoft and something Enix. Were they just Enix? They're just Enix. Okay. There's a confusing period in there where it was Square Electronic Arts, too. Oh, there was Square Electronic Arts, yeah. That was who published 8 and 9. Mm-hmm. For more information, go to playonline.com. Oh, God. Post-production Tyler here. I absolutely butchered some of these names in the live recording, so we're going to try this again, but differently. <clears throat> Final Fantasy VII Remake was produced by... Yoshinori Kitase. And is directed by... Tetsuya Nomura. Naoki... Hamaguchi, Motomu Toriyama. And written by a team of seven writers, including Kazushige Nojima, Motomu Toriyama, I already did that one, Hiroaki Iwaki, Sachi Hirano, Kanako Ikeda, Mayu Nakazawa, and composers Masashi Hamauzu, Mitsu, this one's actually a tongue twister for Americans, Mitsuto Suzuki. Special thanks to my co host, Nei Thanu. The remake came out as a console-only exclusive in 2020 on the PS4, came out on the PS5 in 2021, and on Windows later in 2021. Huzzah. So the Final Fantasy VII Remake was originally announced as a PS3 tech demo at E3, that's Electronic Entertainment Expo, in 2005. I remember this moment. I saw the tech demo. It was a recreation of the first cutscene of... Final Fantasy VII, and it was spectacular, it was brilliant, and it teased the idea that there was going to be a remake of Final Fantasy VII, and I honest to God cried. It was like, what if Advent Children 
was just a video game. Dude, they really asked themselves that. When Advent Children came out, those folks were asking themselves, what if the game was actually like that? What if you could actually do that? Have you ever seen any Dissidia footage? I played Dissidia. Oh, do you? I've actually never played Dissidia, but they always fight in the sky. They're, they're making it happen. Yeah. Right. So that was just a tech demo, although it teased the remake, but development actually began in 2015 on the Unreal Engine 4, and um, they were developing it, and then they partnered with another development company called CyberConnect2, and then eventually, not too long after, CyberConnect2 pulled out of the project, setting unreasonable project management from Square Enix. In my personal opinion, this is just this is just my brain. There's no proof of this online. I would I would uh, postulate that that unreasonable expectation from Square Enix is that CyberConnect2 make a good video game. Now, I know that's blasphemy because I think they make the Naruto games. They made the Dot .hack series too. Yeah, they're they're good. They make, that's kind of a controversial statement because they do make good video games. But this project is just on a level that I think these people never saw coming and had no reason being involved. <laughs> that's just my opinion because like, they, again, they've made good games, but they haven't made games like this that like have the scope and stakes of a mainline Final Fantasy entry. Am I right? Yeah, you've got OGs Katase, Nojima, and Nomura who are getting older. They want to execute this vision before they get too old to properly make video games. And so they're probably applying all of this pressure on this third party to make it the way they're dreaming it. And and good for them. Like, you, you should realize your vision. But you might say that as a third party coming into this development uh, process that the stakes were so high the deadlines were probably very challenging. Um, I, I couldn't tell you anything about the interpersonal conversations. Like, who, who knows, right? They pulled out, and then in 2020, it finally released. The budget is reported to be between 140 and 20 million to help make this game. Hold up, hold up. That's 140 to 200 million, not 140 to 20 million. And as far as I can tell, this uh, Final Fantasy VII remake has sold at least 5 million copies since then. And we're one of them. And we're one of them. We're two of them. Actually, we're three because I originally bought it for the... I don't have a PlayStation 4, but when it came out, I bought it on the PlayStation 4, and then I borrowed my buddy's PS4 so that I could play it when it came out. All right, well, then we're four because I have it on PS4 and PC. <laughs> oh, my God. Square Enix endorsements. Please email us. Oh, make that five. Teddy just bought a copy. <laughs> Guess what Ella's getting for her birthday? <laughs> Let's start the chronological journey of the experience of digesting Final Fantasy VII. Even be even before I owned the game, I was experiencing it. How so, Nate? My first exposure to Final Fantasy VII was in the Mall of America, Minneapolis, Minnesota. There was a game shop. I can't remember the name of the game shop. Like maybe it's EB Games Electronics Boutique, but I do know it was on a. It was on like a triangular corner store right outside of camp snoopy there was a game shop and back in the day before the internet like the internet was in, in its infancy in 1997 and a lot of people didn't have it me included so before the internet when your only source of gaming was magazines and what your friends had and the rental store when you went to a game shop and they had tvs plugged in and controllers protruding from displays you might just experience something you've never seen before and you had no idea the world was capable of producing in that environment. It was very exciting. So there was a display for Final Fantasy VII. There was a kid 
playing the initial fight between a soldier, a dog-like tentacled creature, and Cloud Strife. And he was running up and cutting that soldier with his sword. And all I could think of is, my god, this is the greatest looking video game I've ever seen. And that might be laughable now, looking at the graphics of original Final Fantasy VII, but you have to realize my only other exposure to a three-dimensional game was probably, at this point, Mario 64. So the art and atmospherics of Final Fantasy VII was just delivering something so completely different and absolutely what 11-year-old me was looking for. No, make that 10-year-old me, because I got it on my 11th birthday. So I would have been 10 at that point. Mm -hmm. I think I was 12. Yeah. That seeing that on screen, that was what I needed in my life at that time. How about you, Tyler? What was your first experience with the game? For Christmas 1997, we got a PlayStation 1 and we got three games on it. Final Fantasy 7, Cool Borders 2, and I don't remember the third one. It might have been Twisted Metal 2. Damn, your parents did not give a shit, huh? Yeah, they were divorcing by then. Anyways, uh <laughs> <laughs> And I knew I wanted the new Final Fantasy because I had become a fresh Final Fantasy fan a couple years earlier, having fallen in love with Final Fantasy VI on the Super Nintendo. Of course, three at the time. Uh, and this was going to be the first three-dimensional Final Fantasy. I hadn't seen any, any promotional materials like you had, I don't think. It was just something I requested and I got. Well, here's the funny thing, though, and I think you had a story like this, too, that you told me more than a year ago, was when we got these games... We didn't have memory cards because we didn't know jack shit about games, about new Nintendo systems, and the, and the N64 didn't have a memory card slot. And so I, when I would play the game, I wouldn't be able to save my progress. And so I recall for the first few weeks of owning the game that I would be replaying the first few hours over and over again. Or let's say I had to go eat dinner or we're leaving for an errand and, I had, and I'm coming back later. I would turn off the TV and then move the the controller in such a way that it would hide the red power light that indicates that it's on to create the facade that everything was turned off. But that was really a variation of saving my game because I had to go, you know, in between, you know, play sessions, you go and you live your life. Well, that was me saving my game is turning off the TV, praying nobody notices and then getting back to it later that day or maybe the next morning. I don't even know. Yep. I was in the exact same situation. My birthday was October 18th. That's when I got the game. And by... October 31st, Halloween, when it came time to, what do you want to dress up as? What do you want to do? And I said, no, I don't want to do any of that. Let's take the money and put it towards a memory card. <laughs> that was like a night or two before I'd gotten to, for the first time, I had persevered and made it all the way to Walmart. And just there were so many shops and things, and I was trading items and trying to make a dress and everything. Spoilers. That experience of Walmart, I was just like, no, I can't go back. This is what I need. I need the memory card. It's it's time. Oh yeah, Wall Market. Yeah, you wouldn't want to do that over and over again, probably. It's also it's like a coming of age story in a way of like you think ah, I can I can keep playing the beginning. I can wait a little bit longer, and then Wall Market. It's what changes you from a boy to a man. <laughs> There's no going back. It turns out a dress and a perfume and a tiara and a tiara. Is what made us men. And some deodorant. Some squats. We'll get there. We, we're, yeah, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll get there. We've got a little bit of premature ejaculation happening right now. Right, right. Well, we're, well, part of this is remembering it fondly because this is about, you know, we talk about 
gameplay analysis. Well, we have very fond memories of playing one of our favorite games, and so we're going to be hopping back there occasionally. I guess we're kind of basking in its glow in this introductory episode, but you know, we're going to get into content soon enough. Definitely. And I actually lied. My very first exposure to it was in school, somebody had a gaming magazine. I think EGM made their own custom cover with a picture of Cloud Strife wielding a sword on his back. And that sword was so big that I thought it was an airplane wing or something. Yeah, or a propeller. Yeah, it was like, I was just like, I'd never seen something that big. Now, my exposure to anime was limited. So if uh, if there are, were bigger swords at that point, I didn't know. So Nate, over the years, how has Final Fantasy VII influenced you? I think first off... It, in the storytelling department, it was the first game to really, like you said, you played earlier Final Fantasies. I didn't. So this was the first role-playing game or within the action-adventure genre, etc. A lot of the games I played, they had very simple premises and straightforward goals. And so when I stepped into Final Fantasy VII, I expected they lay down the, the rules of you're blowing up eight reactors to save the world. That's the quest. That's how the game ends, right? Yeah, that's how that's how the Mario games are set up. That's how, you know, Legend of Zelda has eight dungeons. Exactly. And so for me, this was my first game that really kind of blew up the storytelling narrative and the call to action and twists and turns and all the different activities, the mini games, the settings, the varied locations of kind of economic experiences. One minute you're in the slums going to a brothel, the next you're in a crawling through vents in a corporate building, sniffing out <laughs> the meetings are happening. So it, it just it kept throwing curveballs at you and changing things up. And especially when you get to that section of exploring the world map, there were just different experiences to have left and right. And so that influenced me to start thinking outside the box of what an adventure really is and the scope of exploring an entire world. I hadn't really done that in a video game yet until I played this and, and granted, you know, as an adult, you look at it and you're like, this world has one farm across its entire surface area. <laughs> that's, that's not a lot. <laughs> and, <laughs> you, but as a kid, as a 10 year old, just opening up those barriers and saying, just run around wherever you like, it was revolutionary for me. Yeah, it was revolutionary for me too. I feel like Everything I love about the Final Fantasy series all comes to a head at Final Fantasy VII. The storytelling, the villains, the atrocities, the world upending events. Some of the most impressive and um, affecting storytelling beats in video games that I'd ever experienced at the time were coming from Final Fantasy VI because that also had a very strong villain. It also had world upending events and side quests and character development and things like that. And I knew that we, we were going to get even more of that, but in a grittier, more realistic sort of sense. Final Fantasy VII feels fairly modern day compared to Final Fantasy VI. And I'm so glad um, you mentioned what you did a few minutes ago about feeling like you're going to go through all the eight reactors. I don't know that I felt the same way about that. I thought I was going to visit all the eight reactors, but I do remember thinking for a little while, the entire game is going to be held within Midgar. Because we were constrained to Midgar for so long. I mean, the first six or eight or ten hours of a 60-hour game isn't that long in a percentile sort of way. But when you're 12 years old and you're being unleashed into this adventure, 
the amount of detail and scenes and locations that are presented to you within Midgar in those first handful of hours are so robust, so full of life, so fleshed out, so many neat characters, bosses, dungeons, mysteries, enemy variety types. I thought all of Final Fantasy VII was going to be constrained to Midgar, and it blew my mind that we had this huge map ahead of us. A part of me kind of felt that that might have been the case because if you look at the player's guide, the, like there is there is the high wind on a beautiful landing pad, kind of like in a sky sort of way that was very antithetical to what Midgar kind of felt like. Anyways, so how Final Fantasy VII affected me, in my case, became like the gold standard upon which all other Final Fantasy, excuse me, upon which all other games were kind of uh, uh, measured against. I mean... Legend of Dragoon certainly stood up to it very well. Xenogears did to a certain extent, especially in storytelling, not so much in Disc 2 nonsense, of course. But, and I know that the legacy is very bloated, and there are plenty of games in the Final Fantasy VII collection of games and media, movies even, that I haven't seen or experienced, but I don't feel jaded about it. Over time, I do feel kind of like Cloud and Sephiroth and some of the characters have been kind of idolized to, or kind of transformed in their meaning to different groups or applied for different ends in entertainment that I don't really follow, but it hasn't soured my opinion on the original experience. Final Fantasy VII remains a spectacular game, one of the greatest games of all time, uh, but, but as the franchise matures and becomes more robust, it has this sort of Star Wars Disneyfication component going on to it. And I don't necessarily mean this for remake, but we want more. And so they're going to give us more. But in the course of giving us more, it's changing the emotional impact of what the original story was kind of like. And I think that's, and without getting too deep into the controversies and the meta conversation of the Final Fantasy VII remake, that's kind of at the foundation of a lot of the criticism that this game gets. More on it later seating it now definitely and 25 years ago you didn't have the opportunity to massacre a jigglypuff with sephiroth so there is that like you said disneyification of the brand itself in it just keeps getting pushed into more places for better or worse you know yeah yeah i'll also say it influenced me as an artist the same way it kind of opened up my storytelling brain it opened up like what can I draw? What can I make? What can I craft? I would lay out, like, I'd, I'd tear notebook pages out of their books and lay them out on a desk and tape them together and make massive, like, slum structures. Not just as drawings to have a bunch of garbage piled up, but they would have their pathways and their ladders and their connections. And it would be like a level in my head. I had just designed a game level of my own. Mm. And the that game, the, like plotting of maps they, they might seem relatively simple now by today's standards but there was a sense of emergent exploration i think about how like now there's a small section connecting sector five to or sector four or five to sector six somewhere in there in the the seven og and it's one screen and you can fly through it in about less than a minute but as a kid, for whatever reason, I got into fights there and I was traversing it and it had such a massive impact to me of like, oh, I got to run around this area and I got to crawl through the tunnel and then I got to walk up the plank. And it's so simple and stupid now as an adult, but as a kid, it like it hit. I don't know why. Are you referring to the game screen map that has the 
giant metal hand yes okay cool cool we'll get to that we'll get to that yeah for sure and it's great cool what a nice pickup that area it's like i want to draw that i want to make things like that i want to piece together my own like apocalyptic paradise that just might be an episode title yeah that i know exactly where we could where we could slap that one on what chapter great but uh, yeah, uh, so lots of ways it influenced us. And I think the last thing I can say to, I mean, we've been talking about this forever, but Sephiroth was a very unique villain to me at this point in my life in that he probably was the first villain that I knew of in the media that I'd experienced where he thinks he's the good guy, but he remains wholly the villain the entire time and so i can't really get into spoilers without dropping like some pretty revelatory quotes or you know kind of ruining things for us here if anybody is new and fresh to it but at this point the game's 25 years old and everybody's seen sephiroth plastered everywhere so that isn't that huge of a deal for me to say he thinks he's the hero he he thinks he's the good guy in all of this and that was a wildly unique experience to me the closest thing i could say was like the green ranger for power rangers starting off as a bad guy and becoming a good guy but that was more of like a a swap sephiroth remains consistent pretty much the entire time so in between these two entries we're talking about seven seven remake square enix did produce a bunch of additional final fantasy 7 content Around the time of its 10th anniversary, it was called the Compilation of Final Fantasy VII. Again, Square Enix, terrible at naming things. I hate the name. But they were making a cell phone game. They made a PlayStation Portable game that just recently got uh, remastered. And I left a little recommendation on our YouTube channel, Gunblade Guys, of why you should maybe check that out. If that might be your jam, Uh, that is Crisis Core. And then they also made a PlayStation 2 game, The Dirge of Cerberus. And that that features a a certain gunman gunning his way through soldiers. Don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. And then lastly, they made a movie, CGI, called Advent Children, which was a sequel to the events of the original game for the most part. They did give us a lot of additional 7 content in the wake of that ps3 tech demo that had us all clamoring but none of it was final fantasy 7 remake itself so tyler how did you feel about the compilation of final fantasy entries kind of in the middle of the stretch here i know you said ignore it but i always wanted to play dirge of cerberus i mean you're giving me the impression that it's bad but i still want to try it out i think i do I think I can do that by by certain means. However, the media that had the biggest impression on me with the compilation Final Fantasy VII was Advent Children. When that came out, I was quite impressed with how realistic a totally CGI movie could be. Although at the time, I, I was kind of disenchanted with all, with all of the fighting in the air. I didn't particularly love that. I thought that was kind of distracting from from the story and and things like that. However, I do know that you know Square Enix is really leaning into that in recent years. I have played Crisis Core. I didn't finish it. I don't have the remake, but I did play the I did play Crisis Core on a hacked PlayStation Portable, and I didn't finish it because I became kind of bored with it. I thought the missions were quite redundant, and I and I didn't really enjoy the the slot mechanic of battle. I thought that was kind of distracting as well. And so in combination with the repetitive 
missions and the battle system that heavily featured a slot machine. I couldn't finish it. Yeah. Never played First Soldier. That was a battle royale that came out for Android and iOS, although I was kind of interested in, in that. But I don't really play battle royale games. I was kind of hoping for a Final Fantasy VII MOBA, but that's never going to happen because Dissidia is too popular. Mm-hmm. Well, what you said about the varying quality and differences of compilation, that is the exact thing that made my hype for Remake when it was finally announced in 2015 kind of Mm -hmm. lukewarm. Like, I thought, okay, that's really cool. I'm excited. Their announcement trailer definitely tapped into my feelings as a fan of the original, but it didn't do anything for me saying, is this game going to be a good game to play? Is this a world I'm going to enjoy? So with that, how are you feeling about the official announcement of Remake when it finally hit? This is a game. They're giving us footage. It's real. I had no doubt it was going to be awesome. I knew <laughs> I knew that I'm sorry I sound like such a fanboy, but at the time I really was. I had no doubt they were going to put all of their energy into it, that it would take 35 years to develop and it would be worth it. If it took 100 years, it would be worth I mean, I had confidence that they were going to get it right and that it was going to be a spectacular game. And to a certain extent, I was correct. Yeah. And to give a little bit of context of like a quote that I can't necessarily provide proof of here on the internet because it would take me hours to find it. But I guess um, a, a YouTuber that I watch, Maximilian Dude, he had a chance to meet with some of the producers on 7 Remake before it was released while it was still in development. But they had like it, this was later on when they had actual gameplay to show and everything. Mm-hmm. And he said that after that initial trailer dropped of the actual official announcement of the game in 2015, that Kitase went to YouTube and started watching everyone's reaction of it. And he was like moved to say, we have to make this worthy of the original and worthy of our fans adoration of it, because he was so moved by all the really strong reactions of people like floored by the fact that the game was real. And so again, don't have an official quote from that. That's just experiencing it from a like second, third hand, but I believe it because I feel that in the game. So that is definitely, I, th- I think they they pulled off what, some version of honoring the original, right? It, it's a very, mm. it's a touchy subject because there would be people that would vehemently disagree with me on that because of a couple choice decisions made that we'll get into much later. I think personally for me, my biggest fear coming into this before I played Remake was the state of Square Enix as a whole throughout the like early 2010s with the complete failure that was the launch of the first version of Final Fantasy 14 and other just quite terrible games uh, in the PS3, Xbox 360 era and the Wii too. Like there were some, there were some pretty ass games on the Wii made by Square Enix. So I, I just had no faith in them at that point that they were going to turn the ship around. And in addition to that, like the compilation itself, there's just this like, the spirit of the games that came in out in the compilation era and the movie, it all had this like anime animeification. I don't know if that's a word or if that makes sense, but just everything was a bit more anime than I was expecting. And I say that as somebody who loves anime and watched a shitload of anime at the time, it's still like, even with loving anime, it felt foreign to seven. So I was wondering if that thread was going to carry through to 
remake and and like i said the state of square enix there's a lot of things like like gacked i know that doesn't them that term might not make sense to a lot of people gacked is a musical performer actor in japan he is a character in the final fantasy 7 compilation games that was put in there because tetsuya nomura is just a huge fan and he loves his music so he's like well i'm gonna put him in the game okay cool idea but again you're what you said the disneyfication of of a brand i think that's that's when it started happening and then like you said the slot machines that's square enix was getting into the pachinko business in japan and like a lot of songs implemented in games from official recording artists that like in final fantasy 8 when they had a vocalized track it was written especially for the game with lyrics that match the characters and now square enix games are just dropping in you know sponsored songs from artists to give them free promotion that are on the same record label as their subsidiary company or something and it's just like everything seemed very corporate and anime ified uh in those years since we got the original final fantasy 7 so i was kind of scared i was scared that there's going to be gacked there's going to be people fighting in the air like you said there's going to be meme characters introduced there's going to be a, an official song by ayumi hamazaki's latest album on there lots of stuff like that yeah and it's not an ignorable component of the conversation because when the squaresoft square enix changeover happened they became very interested in extending the brands of particular final fantasies we didn't have a part two until we had 10 which was after the merger and then um then there's a variety of 13 games i guess 12 no there was a sequel to 12 but they didn't use the same assets it was a what was it a game boy advance game yeah and i don't even remember revenant My wings God, it's 12 that old that revenant wings was on it was on it was on ds it was on ds yes okay good because if it was on Game Boy, that would have been like 2008 or something. Yeah. I didn't think Final Fantasy 12 was that old. Final Fantasy 12 came out in 2006. It's almost 20 years old. Oh my god! In a few years. All right, but but the but the point I'm trying to make is that yeah, so they're trying to make a verse out of each of the individual releases. Even 15 has got the movie King's Glaive and then that cringe-inducing mobile game that I had to suffer through for like a year and a half, still still telling myself that Final Fantasy is okay, the brand is okay, while there's this <laughs> fucking... <laughs> there's this horror, this awful-looking mobile fort building. Can I drop a controversial opinion here? Sure. I think... uh Tetsuya Nomura, while he has enjoyed incredible success with his Kingdom Hearts series, which I play and I think is amazing, and he makes some amounts of good content, I think his taste level is just incredibly off base and bad. And I, I'll give a, I'll cite an example here. They recently worked with another company, but Nomura was part of creating the strangers of paradise final fantasy origins game and this is a game that was designed to appeal to western audiences and just his love of anime and his terrible taste level and like just everything that constitutes his artistic vision just was so strongly in that game's dna in a lot of ways that even though they were trying to appeal to a western audience it just 
looks and feels and acts and sounds like a Tetsuya Nomura game to the point where Westerners are all like, what the fuck am I looking at? What are these people doing? What is this story? What is this dialogue? What? It's like you have you have Jack Garland who like somebody's trying to deliver him some like actual dialogue on the story that's happening he's like no fuck you and he puts his airpods in and starts listening to degent metal and it's like bro what the hell am i looking at and so that was another fear that maybe some of the people with uh with the taste level like hironobu sakaguchi gone from the company since moved on he's doing his own thing the old final fantasies were like based on western fantasy books and DD sessions and things that had a lot more subtlety and nuance to them they still had their crazy batshit stories but there were there's like a commonality where it's like people from the west and the east can find common ground in these games and be united in them whereas i don't necessarily feel that way about nomura's work mm-hmm. I, I don't understand what he's thinking what what goes on inside his head mm-hmm and Final Fantasy VII is kind of a violation of that Japan interpreting Lord of the Rings sort of context because this is a kind of a modern day steampunky sort of environment that we're in. Word has it though that this is the kind of last entry that Sakaguchi had like his hands in the clay on and that with Final Fantasy VIII he kind of turned things over to some of the other team members to execute their creative vision more freely than he had let them in the past Mm -hmm. and he is taking on more executive roles he wanted to make a movie and everything so i think that um you know that kind of shows that this might have been his magnum opus in a way is that the right word sure it is the right word there's people that would say it was six it was four those are more traditional fantasies but you know I i think seven is Kind of the quintessential work of his. Yeah, I think I agree with that. The internet does have one controversy with the game that we have mentioned, but we might not really even cover in it. But it's that the game was chopped into multiple parts from the original. And so I want to say that without getting into spoilers, any of those details, for me personally... I think it's interesting because the game encapsulate that section that Tyler mentioned, the first like six hours of the game, Midgar, that place that we thought, oh, the whole game's going to take place here. Well, back in the day, I found myself like in the PlayStation 1 era, me as a kid, I had those questions of like, what if there was a whole game that just took place in Midgar, like a side story, and you visited all the different slum sectors and all the different parts of the cities and you did all those activities in this wondrously amazing steampunk city that we only really got to see one or two slices of the pizza so to speak the rotting pizza yeah we were asking ourselves like how can we get more midgar and when you leave midgar you're wondering when can i go back to midgar (laughs) and so for it was a really interesting critique for people to say like oh they're just milking the game they're stretching it out they're like being lazy reusing assets and everything it's like i kind of expected that the game was never going to be capable of being adapted in its entirety in the modern era and like when i think about how simple it was to make flat art maps that you just ran on top of and you're using these low poly characters low poly art 
everything that encapsulated the original game and the ballooning costs and size of games like this this download for our steam was what 100 gigabytes and that's like a third of what we're getting overall (laughs) so just imagine what all of that entails like i personally even before they announced this for to be a a multi-part game i thought of the situation of final fantasy 13 and how that was a multi-part game and the thing the situation they got in that square enix got into with that game was that they had artists making tons of art tons of environments tons of enemies and places to go and things to do and because of the limitations of the ps3 and development time or all that the engineers and coders and systems designers didn't have the capability of implementing all the things that they they had to make and so it was kind of like thought back to that situation with final fantasy 13 and i thought is it even possible to remake final fantasy 7 in its entirety because it's a big game it's got a lot of varied environments and different experiences to have that would need to be fully realized to really do the game justice so personally i'm going on the record of just right now before we start getting into it I'm saying I'm not bothered by the episodic nature of the remake because I never expected it to be possible to adapt the original game in the first place before they made that announcement. I know what you mean. Um, in, in online conversations about what might be coming up next for the remake, part two and part three, people ask themselves, well, are we actually going to go here? Is this event actually going to happen? I'm like, And not, not in a storytelling sense, but in a literal game file sense like the example i see more often is costa del sol which is a place you go to partway through the the first disc and not much happens there but it is an entire town with shops and and important characters that are that happen to be there when you are there but there is no major story beat is costa del sol worth keeping in remake part two or part three i don't know depends on what you know what's in store i guess we'll find out when it comes out and we kind of already have a little bit of a nugget of that. I don't consider this a spoiler because it's more just like a mini game. But in the original game, there was a um, kind of like a MOBA-like game called Fort Condor where you set up your defenses and waves of enemies would rush down aisles and you'd have to have your defenses placed at every lane and in remake we have fort condor in the game in midgar not at fort condor in the form of a board game you can play and what that tells me is we are not getting fort condor in the narrative everyone's gonna ask themselves do we still need this do we need this do we need this like the star wars prequels all over again or even or sequels. Exactly. So do I need to shake the Millennium Falcon at you? Yeah. So that's one of the major places that already, if you're listening, if you've engaged in some of the other discourse online, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hit the rage button on the episodic nature of this. Thank you for listening, everybody. The Hero with a Thousand Potions podcast is a production of Gunblade Guys. That's us, Tyler and Nate. You can find us on YouTube and Twitch as Gunblade Guys, and we're also on Discord, which you can access via our podcast's description paragraph. Uh, we've decided we don't want you to email us. Don't email us. But if you have to email us, you can email us at gunbladeguys at gmail.com. We don't want your email. Don't want it. I'm Tyler. 
And I am Nate. And we will see you at the Sector 7 train station. <laughs> Don't sue me, Square Enix. Don't demonetize me. Shoot, that shoot that Nate likes so much. Hello and welcome to here. Sorry. God, this sucks. Lots of great writers. Um, <laughs> do you want me to do the Japanese names? Maybe you should. <laughs> I'm just going to rattle them through and you can edit if you want. Sure. Tetsuya Nomura. I just dropped it. I just dropped an ope on you. There's certain times when I'm editing the Xenoblade podcast, I just want to put a, I want to have like a one second flash of a picture of Charlie Barron's come on the screen whenever you sound very Midwestern. When you do one of your, oh, that's really interesting right there. Like, I want to just flash him on screen for a second and see if anybody gets the reference. I don't know how popular Charlie Barron's is outside of the upper Midwest. I hope it's... Mm. Maybe it's big. I don't really know. Sometimes you get so close to celebrity that you don't know how far it resonates. Like, well, I live in the town of Bon Iver, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we reported on him all the time, and it was, and I didn't realize until he won two Grammys that it was, like, an international hit. He's a very talented artist, and I respect his craft. He came into my work and wanted some work done. He's very particular. <laughs> I'll say that. And so uh, that was my exposure to him. Everything. I don't know what the word is. Like, on, yeah, on track. Everything good. Yeah, everything's good. Yeah. Uh, last great. time we had a. Last time we had our. No, this would have, would have been two pediatric appointments ago. The doctor said she's like, she's all she's caught up. She's, you know, average for the three measurements that we used when we're tracking preemie health which is uh, height, weight, and head circumference. Mm-hmm. And as far as we can tell, she's like a normal baby right now. And so they don't, they don't even like, they don't bear in mind her preeminence anymore. She's just another baby. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's good. Oh, I hate when my head does this. The th- trying to remember what you were saying got me to forget what I was going to say. And, um, trying to retrace my steps of what I was thinking about. I I can't do it. So, wrap it up. I remembered. I'm always gonna say Nate and Tyler because my actual name is Nathan Tyler. What's your middle name? So it's programmed into me. Yeah, my middle name is Tyler. So. Oh my god. A trip for you. <laughs> yeah, when I say Nate and Tyler, I hear my own name in there, so yeah.